My name is Ruben Guerra, and I'm going to be doing the study tonight. Uh, Pastor Charlie took a little bit of time off uh, this week, so he's getting some rest, some well-needed rest that he needs, so let's keep him in prayer on that. Uh, a while back, Pastor Charlie had mentioned to uh, several of us during our pastor's elders deacon meetings that uh, he was going to start uh, asking some of the other pastors, some of the other elders, some of the other deacons to, uh, to come up here and, and do a teaching. Uh, a couple weeks ago, he calls me up and he's like, guess what? You're in the bucket. You're next. So I was like, okay. Awesome. <laughs> so, and you know, that saying goes, you know, the duck, uh, you know, the duck on the pond of the water, you know, above the water, he's real calm and b b below his feet are like going 100 miles an hour. That's me right now. So I, on the outside, I might look, you know, nice and calm, but the inside, my heart's going at like 100 miles an hour. So just pray with me on that. A uh, couple of things about me. Uh, like I said, uh, my name is Ruben Guerra. I'm an elder here. And uh, I oversee two of the, of the ministries here at Calvary Chapel. The first one is with the men's Bible study that we have on Saturday mornings. Um, we do the, I actually do the start off the teaching and then of course we know the, the group of guys that show up. I have a great bunch of guys that, that show up for the study. So it's just one of those type of studies where we have all levels of guys, guys that are, I mean, they, they know the Bible, you know, from inside out. We have some there in the middle and we have some that are just barely starting out. So those are the ones that, that, uh, that like to show up and they like to, we like to interact with the Bible study. So, you know, guys ask questions that they don't know. So this is the time that it's just kind of like an open forum and stuff. So, you know, we, we, right now we're, we're in the book of First Kings, so that's what we're going to be in tonight. So this is one of those things where everybody just gets involved. It's just not me up at the pulpit, which is totally different from what I'm used to as far as being up here and stuff. And, of course, so I invite all the guys on Saturday mornings at 8 o'clock. So we have a time of, time of fellowship with all the guys. We have a time of worship. We have a time of prayer. We break up into groups and we pray together. We pray for whatever needs come up. We pray for our families. We pray for our marriages. We pray for everything that, that, that is out there. And then, of course, we also have the study as well. And then the other ministry that I, that I oversee as well, too, is the security ministry. Uh, recently, I took over the, the security ministry. Oh, I think it was November last year when I took over. And of course, if you notice that during that time frame, we've had so many incidents, so many shootings within our communities, not only, not only outside the United States or outside of El Paso, but everywhere and stuff. You know? So security is a very important uh, part when it comes to, uh, to protecting our church, protecting our, the flock, and most importantly, protecting our children. So we've got a great bunch of guys that, that, are, that are, there's nothing but volunteers, okay? Nothing but volunteers that, that help out with security. And, you know, they're watching the foyers, they're watching inside of here, they're watching the children's, and they're watching the parking lot. So we've got a bunch of guys out there that are helping out. And if anybody's interested in either one of them, if you, know, you want to join us for Saturdays for the men's Bible study, and then you also want to volunteer for the security, just come and see me afterwards, guys, okay? This, this, uh, today's a special time as well, too, because I have my entire family with me here tonight. Of course, I have my wife, who also works here in the office, and then I have my, uh, my oldest daughter with her boyfriend here, and then I also have my youngest daughter and her husband from out of town from California, but most importantly, I've got my grandsons, I've got my grandkids, yes. So, I mean, it's, it's just a great time to be able to spend that time with them and just to be able to enjoy the time that I have with them as well. So it's great. Uh, before we get started, there's a, an announcement that I need to make here right quick. Um, 
for, for those of you who know Lisa Ponce, uh, she went to be with the Lord this past Tuesday, so she passed away. So the services are going to be held at Mark, Mount Carmel Funeral Home on Friday, May the 25th, from 1 o'clock p.m. to 4 o'clock p.m., uh, with a celebration of life at 2 o'clock p.m. Uh, so please continue to pray for her family with his husband, George, and her, uh, her son, Eric, and her daughter, Leah. Okay, so before we get started, we're going to go ahead and pray, and then we'll, we'll get right into the study as well, too. Uh, so to kind of to uh, get going on this, we've been, we've been going in the men's Bible study, we've been going through the, uh, through the book of 1 uh, of Kings right now. And I think we're like in chapter 13, but there's one study, there's one study in particular that, has, that really stuck out to me. And this particular one is we're going we're gonna to talk about tonight, which is in 1 Kings chapter 3, Okay. So before we get started, we'll, we'll go ahead and pray, and then we'll jump right into the study, okay? So let's go ahead and pray. Lord, Father God, we just come before you this evening, Lord, Father God, just to give you all the glory and honor and praise. Just thank you so much for allowing us to gather here in this place, Lord Jesus, that we're able to just to dedicate the study to you tonight, Heavenly Father. And Lord Jesus, we also lift up Lisa Ponte, Heavenly Father, who just went up to be with you this week, this past week, Lord Father God, that you continue to be with her family as, as, they, uh, as they mourn the life of her right now, Heavenly Father, for George and for Eric and for Leah, Heavenly Father, that you just continue to be with them right now, Lord Heavenly Father. Lord Jesus, and also for all of us that are here tonight, that you just give us eyes to see ears to hear, Heavenly Father, and an open heart to be able to receive your word tonight, Lord Jesus. Lord, Heavenly Father, that we just come before you and just lay everything down before your throne of grace right now, Lord Jesus, and you just let us be able to enjoy this time of the, of the study that we're able to, to do tonight, Heavenly Father, and we just love you and thank you and praise you, and we ask all of this in Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. So as, as like I said, we're, right now we're, in, we're, we're going through the book of First Kings in our men's Bible study, and in this particular point in time, at the beginning of 1 Kings, we're talking about that King David is still alive. Okay, he's still alive. He's, he's old at this point, but he's, he's, uh, he's still alive, but he's very sick and he's very old. So he's on his deathbed right now. And before all of this happened, uh, he came up to the Lord, you know, all the struggles that he's had, that he wanted to build the temple for the Lord. You know, and that's, that's one of the things that he wanted to do because he loved the Lord very, very much. And the Lord told him, you know, it's like, I'm sorry, David, but you've got way too much blood on your hands right now that I'm not going to allow you to build the temple. Your son, and he names him Solomon, your son Solomon is going to be the one who's going to build the temple for, for me, okay? So at this particular point in chapter 1 of, of, of uh, in 1 Kings chapter 1, it talks about that he's still alive, but he's still having issues even though he's on his deathbed. We have one of his sons that try, that's trying to take over the throne, and by that time it's already been said that Solomon is going to be the next king of Israel. So at this, also at this particular time, we see that one of his generals, one, uh, Joab, his, his right-hand man, is, is just going the opposite way, following along his other son and, and being the, the general of that army. So we jump over to chapter 2 then, and by this point in time already, the Lord has already anointed Solomon as the king of Israel. Okay, and his father is still alive. He's still alive. David is still alive, and he's telling him, pretty much, he's telling him, David, uh, Solomon, you've got a clean house. You've got to appoint your own cabinet per se, just like any, just like you know, when President Trump uh, took office, that he's got to, he's got to go out and clean house, and he's got to get his, uh, his, uh, his cabinet ready. He's got to get all the people ready that he needs for his, for his throne. 
So he's going through there and he's cleaning house. He's actually going through and he's exiled some people. He's had some people killed, you know, just to get rid of them. So at this particular point, he's already assigned the people that he needs to. And he's doing the things the correct way right now per se. All right. He's following the ways of the Lord. He's doing the things that needs to be done. So we see here as we start in chapter 3, starts out not so good because it starts out saying that he's marrying a prince of Pharaoh, one of the daughters of Pharaoh, okay? So back in those times, we can see why they were doing this because it was pretty much for a political reason, just kind of like a, a, an alliance type of deal for him, for the, the, the nation of Israel and Egypt to just, you know, just kind of keep the peace ties going and stuff here, okay? So while he's doing that, he's, he's got some other wives as well too. So, that, you know, of course, the Lord is already telling him, you know, you, you can't be doing things like this, right? And, of course, during this time, was also, he's also going up into the mountains and he's doing sacrifices. Now, when I say that he's doing sacrifices, it doesn't mean that he's doing it himself. Of course, he's got his, uh, his, his priest and his elders and everybody else doing the sacrifices to him. So there's days and days and weeks and weeks that they're having all these sacrifices. And this is where we start off in chapter 3. And in chapter 3, uh, 1 Kings chapter 3, and this, this message is entitled, It's Solomon is given great wisdom. Okay, he's giving great wisdom. And it starts off with, uh, with verse 5, and it says, At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, Ask, what shall I give you? And Solomon said, You have shown great mercy to your servant David, my father, because he, wa he walked before you in truth, in righteousness, in uprightness of heart with you. You have continued this grace kindness for him, and you have given him a son to sit on his throne as it is this day. Now, O oh my Lord, you have made your servant king instead of my father David, but I am, a, I am a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to be numbered or counted. Therefore, Give to your servant an understanding heart to judge your people that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to judge this great people of yours? You know, this is something, this is what's called a God's offer, God's offer and Solomon's response. So God makes an offer to him. Ask, and what, and ask, and what shall I give you? But before that, it states that the Lord appears to Solomon in a dream. Okay, this remarkable, this remarkable visitation from God happened in a dream. This is one of the more significant dreams in the Bible. Okay, if you read through the scriptures and everything, it doesn't talk too much about the, the Lord appearing to people in a dream. And it seems like here it appears only to Solomon. Not, now to Solomon, the Lord appears to him not once, but twice in a dream. In 1 Kings chapter 9, verse 2, it states that the Lord appeared to Solomon the second time as he had appeared to him in Gibeon. So now, here, in this particular, in this particular verse, it's, the Lord is asking him, ask, and I will give you whatever you want. But when we jump forward over to chapter 9, when he appears to him in that second dream, it's not a very good thing for him. And as we go forward, we're going to see why, why all this is happening. Okay? So the Lord is asking, and if you notice in some of your scriptures, it's got ask and explanation point. Ask, explanation point. The, the, Lord's not, the Lord's not saying, ask, and I'll give you what you want. No, he's like, ask, and 
what shall I give you? You know, this was an amazing promise. God seemed to offer Solomon whatever he wanted. This wasn't only because Solomon sacrificed thousands of animals. It was because his heart was surrendered to God, and God wanted to work something in Solomon through this offer and his response. You know, this is one of the things where he could have, the Lord could have put some stipulations on it. You know, it's like, you know, you can ask, but you can only ask from this certain category. But no, the Lord was like, left it wide open to him. Ask, what shall I give you? And, and, and this is one of those things. So the natural reaction to reading this promise of God to Solomon is to wish we had that promise, okay? When you read this, it's like, you know what? Man, I want some of that. I want what Solomon has been asking for, you know? The Lord asked him, what? Ask, and, and I'll give you what I want. But guess what? We do have that. We do have that, my brothers and sisters. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 7, it states, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. And also, and in John 15, 7, it states that if you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it, will, and it shall be done for you. So also, in, in 1 John chapter, uh, I'm sorry, 1 John chapter 5, verse 14, it states, Now this is, the, this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. So this is one of those things, okay, I mean, do I need, just need to come up to the Lord and say, ah, you know, hey, Lord, I need this. Right, let's, let's kind of backtrack a little bit here. You know, this is one of the things where prayer comes to play into here. Prayer is so important for everything that we do when it comes to the Lord. You know, the Lord wants to, he wants to bless us. He wants to bless us tremendously. But the thing is that we have to remember is that we need to be in constant prayer in whatever it is that we're doing. You know, a lot of people, we always decide that we want to keep God in a box. You know, we want to keep the Lord in a box only when we need him. Take him out. We're going to pray what we need. And then we put him back. It's like, no, no. The Lord wants us to be a part of his life 24-7, 365. And it's one of those things where uh, a while back, excuse me, one of the guys in our Bible study, he always had this saying, and it, and it kind of caught to me. And he says, you know, the Lord, the Lord doesn't want a little bit of our hearts. He wants the whole thing. It's little or nothing. And that's the thing that we have to do. We need to open up our hearts to the Lord and give everything to him. And this is exactly what we see with, if, if, if we ever go back and read the story of David, you know, this is one of those things where I just love reading 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel, especially when it, when it brings David into the picture. You know, David is, is, he's out in the field watching over his sheep, you know, a ruddy, a ruddy young kid, and he's looking over all the land that the Lord has blessed him with, all the land that's out there. And this is one person that was a man after God's own heart. And that's the way we should be as well, too. When we want something for the Lord, the Lord is always saying, ask, what shall I give you? What do you need? We just have to be open to him and just pray constantly, praying constantly day in and day out. You know, we all, there's always this thing where we also read in the scripture where it says we're two or more present that the Lord is present with us. You know, there's, there's nothing better than having to, you know, having to fellowship with one another, having that, that conversation with a couple of your, of, your, of your Christian brothers or sisters and stuff. But there's always that time, that time that you get to spend alone with you and the Lord. 
You know, just talking to the Lord, reading your Bible, just to see what, what he has in store for you, what plans he has for you. You know, and, and this is just so, so amazing. And, and then it, Solomon goes on to say that he tells him, he goes, you have shown great mercy. You know, be, before responding to God's offer and asking for something, Solomon remembered God's uh, faithfulness to both David and now to Solomon himself. You know, this is one of the things that, that is so, so wonderful about this scripture here in this particular passage. And even going back to, to, uh, to, to uh, 2 Samuel when he's talking about, about David. You know, we, we know the type of person that David was. You know, and it seems like if you looked at every king that was king of Israel, starting with Saul, then David, and now we're looking at Solomon. All of these kings had downfalls. They had sins. They all committed sins. And if we, look at, if, we, if we look specifically at David, and if we look at the sins that David committed, murder, adultery, you know, and all these other sins, the Lord could have struck him down at any given time and just said, you know what, enough. This is not going to happen. But remember also that who David was. David was a man after God's own heart, okay? Now, the also thing to remember also is it actually took someone else, it took a prophet, the young prophet Nathan, to come before David and tell him, uh, talk to him in, in a parable and telling him what was going on. And this is the time where he had committed the, uh, the adultery and he also committed the, the murder, okay, with Bathsheba. So when, when the Nathan had got through with, and telling him about this parable, David was like, well, you need to get rid of this guy. This guy needs to die. And Nathan was like, well, guess what? This guy is you. This guy is you that we're talking about here. So David was just kind of like backed up and opened up his eyes, and he's like, wait a minute. He is right. He's talking about me. Now, the difference here between Saul and Solomon, and we can read throughout through all the scriptures, and it really doesn't say about Saul, about Saul or uh, Solomon having to repent of their sins. It doesn't say that. But with David, it does talk about that. It does say that David repented of his sins. He asked for forgiveness from the Lord. And so we can see the difference here between those three kings right there. And this is something what, what, what Solomon was talking about as far as him saying that you have shown great mercy. You have shown great mercy. So we see here as far as God talking to David about his throne. If we look at 1 Kings chapter 2, verse 4, it says that, that the Lord may fulfill his word which he spoke concerning me, saying, If your sons take heed to their way, to walk before me in truth with all their heart and with all their soul, he said, you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. And this is the Lord talking to David saying that if any of his sons, if any of his ancestors or going forward did this particular things in the scripture, that they would never lack a man on the throne. But unfortunately, as we read forward in the chapters, we can see that every single person Every single one of his sons has a downfall. And we're just going to be looking at Solomon, but we can see some of his other sons as far as what they were trying to do, as far as them taking over the, the throne uh, from David as well, too. So this is one of those things where it's just going to happen. It starts out, and he's asking. He's asking for wisdom and understanding. He could have asked for anything in the world, right? Could have asked for anything, whatever he wanted. 
but he's asking for wisdom and understanding. Some of the commentary states that Solomon was one, probably one of the youngest kings that was out there. Uh, that some, some commentary says that he was been between in his late 20s to his early 30s. So he was a fairly young king. And as a young king, he could have asked for anything in the world, right? Of course, you ask somebody nowadays at that age, what do you want? Ask and I'll give you. And they're probably going to say, oh, you know what? I want a Porsche, Ferrari, a million dollars, or whatever the case is, right? But here with Solomon, he's asking for wisdom and understanding so he could help the Lord judge his people. So he could help the Lord judge his people. And then he goes on to tell him, but, the, but God, I am, I am a little child. I am a little child. You know, we're talking about Solomon was not really the age of a child. You know, he came to God in great humility, especially considering the job that he had in front of him. The statement is actually Solomon's poetic way of expressing his shortfalls as he faced the awesome task of leadership. To become a king of Israel, to become the king of this nation was a big task at hand. So when he says that he, but I am a little child, he's pretty much saying, God, you know what? I'm inexperienced. I don't have that experience that I have. You know, give me a couple years and I'll be able to write that in my resume, include that in there. But for right now, I don't have it. So I need that wisdom. I need that understanding from you so I can be able to do the job at hand that I need to do for this great nation of you. So even David is talking about Solomon also. In 1 Chronicles 22.5, it states, Now David said, Solomon, my son, is young and inexperienced, and the house to be built for the Lord must be exceedingly magnificent, famous, glorious throughout all countries. I will now make preparations for it. So David made abundant preparations before his death. So even before then, David is also talking about his son. David is saying that my, chi my child, my son, he doesn't have the experience like I did. So he's telling him, of course, you know, we, we, can, we, can, we can go back and say, you know, because the Lord, the, uh, David wanted to build this temple for the Lord, and the Lord said, no, David, you can't do it because you got blood, way too much blood in his hand. But this did not stop David from having his hand and as far as building the temple. And we can see that right here because he even states that I will make preparations for it. So David made abundant preparations before his, his death. He probably drew out the blueprints. He probably gathered all the stone and the, and, and, and the lumber that needed to be, that needed to be uh, gathered together you know, before he died in order for him to be able to make the temple, before Solomon could be able to make the temple. So all Solomon had to do was just break out the blueprints and say, all right, this is where we're going to start. So that way, Solomon already had an idea of what needed to be done. You know, Solomon didn't have the false humility that said, I can't do this and I won't even try. His attitude was, the job is so much bigger than I am, I must rely on God. And this is so true with each and every one of us, that whenever something comes into play, whenever something, whenever the Lord throws uh, uh, something in our midst of our past where it, it, just, it just halts everything, and we're, we stop and we're like, God, why are you doing this? Why, why is this happening to me? And at that particular point in time, what do you do? You break out your little box, take God out of the box, you know, pray about it and stuff. And then once everything is good to go, it's all clear and everything, 
put them back in the box, and put them away. No, it's just right here like it says, this job is bigger than me. I must rely on God. We must rely on God. We need to have that, that expression, that foundation, that attitude where we can't do this on our own. We can never do this on our own. You know, when, when I first came, before, before I even came to the Lord, I would never thought I'd be standing up here at this pulpit doing this, okay? Never would have. And, 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 I can, and I can attest to that, and my wife can attest to that as, as well, too. So when, 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 I started, when I came to the Lord and, and I started doing these studies, this is just one of those things where, I mean, it was, it was just nerve-wracking. It was just nerve-wracking. And, 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 and this is just one of those tests, a test that the Lord put before me. You know, right now, once I'm starting to get comfortable, it's like, you know, it's, sometimes I got to grip the side of this thing because I have a tendency to kind of walk away and just start talking away. So, you know, Pastor Sean might have to get some super glue and glue my boots down so I can sit still. But while I was in high school, one of the things that, that, that the Lord was already preparing me for was as far as public speaking. Getting in, front of, getting in front of an audience and, and, and talking to people and stuff. And in high school, I think it was like my junior, senior year, I started, doing, I started doing public speaking, debates, and everything else. So this is something, and I didn't even know the Lord at that time, okay? Didn't even know the Lord at that time. And now we jump forward to here now, and now we're seeing this where this is not really an issue. It is an issue because deep down inside, I'm, I'm, my heart's still going 100 miles an hour. So this is just one of those things where I rely on the Lord constantly. I rely on the Lord prayer. My family prays for me. My wife prays for me. I have all my other brothers from the men's Bible study that pray for me. And some of those guys are here tonight and point them out to you. So this, this is just one of those things where prayer comes into play. Prayer is always the things that we need to do. And we need to rely on the Lord constantly. And this is one of the things where Solomon, he starts out by saying, you know what, God, I can't do this on my own, so I need your help. So by you, Lord, granting me, by giving me the wisdom that I need, I'll be able to make the decisions for your people, to be able to judge your people, to be able to help them out in whatever it is that, need to, that, needs to go, that, that they need to do. So then... Then he's asking, give your servant an understanding heart. An understanding heart. You know, Solomon asked for more than great knowledge. He wanted understanding. And he wanted it where? He wanted it in his heart. Not merely in his head. Actually, the ancient Hebrew word translated understanding is literally hearing. Solomon wanted a hearing heart that the one that the, that the, uh, that the Lord will listen to. And if you notice that and, and when I was praying, I was asking for, you know, eyes to see, ears to hear, and an open heart to be able to receive the word of God. And this is exactly what Solomon wanted here, is he wanted a hearing heart to be able to understand that way that, the, that, that one that would listen to God. In Ephesians 1.18, the Apostle Paul prayed for Christians, asking that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. So we see here this at the same time, even going forward into the New Testament, that this is still going on as far as praying for Christians and asking that the eyes of your understanding that they be enlightened, to be able to hear what the Lord has for us. And Solomon is telling the Lord to be able to judge your people 
that I, may, that, that, that I may discern between good and evil. You know, Solomon already understood that a key component of leadership is wise and just discernment. Many leaders do not have this discernment or the courage to use it. We see that every day. We've seen that in the past. We see that now. You know, if you look at it, you can see it in your workplace. You know, a lot of these, a lot, a lot of places, and we see it everywhere. You got that good old boy syndrome. You know, as far as hey, I'll let you in to be able to, to uh, so you can get in here and get a great, get a good job going and stuff. So I mean, this is just one of those things as far as having that uh, experience like Solomon, like Solomon doesn't have right now. But here we're talking about as far as what people, what Solomon wanted to do, how he wanted to judge your people. He goes, to judge your people that I may discern between good and evil. You know, and, and at the same time, it, it, it talks about as far as, excuse me, the having the understanding, just like uh, Paul was talking about in, in Ephesians 1.18. And if we go forward now and in verses 10 through 15, it's God's great promise to Solomon. Verses 10 to 15, uh, it starts off by saying, The speech pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. Then God said to him, Because you have asked this thing and have not asked long life for yourself, nor have asked riches for yourself, nor have asked the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern justice, behold, I have done according to your words, See, I have given you a wise and understanding heart so that, so that there has not been anyone like you before you, nor shall any like you arise after you. And I've also given you what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that there shall not be anyone like you among the kings all your days. So, excuse me. So if you walk in my ways to keep my statutes and my commandments as your father David walked, then I will enlighten your, lengthen your days. Then Solomon awoke, and indeed it had been a dream. And he came to Jerusalem and stood before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, offering up burnt offerings, offered peace offerings, and made the feast for all his servants. So we see here what is happening with these verses. And it says, the speech pleased the Lord. You know, God was pleased by what Solomon had asked for, and that he knew his great need for wisdom, discernment, and understanding. God was also pleased by what Solomon did not ask for. For in that, he did not ask for riches or fame or power for himself. Again, like I said before, he could have asked for all of these things at the beginning. When the Lord asked him, said, ask, what shall I give you? He could have asked for, for riches. He could have already asked for he, let me put it this way. He could have asked for more riches because he already had it because pretty much David had already passed it down to him or fame or power for himself. But no, he asked for wisdom and understanding, and the Lord was pleased with this. You know, the, the Solomon's request was not a bad one. You know, we are specifically told that the speech pleased the Lord. Yet we can also ask if, was this the best that Solomon could ask for? Was this the highest gift that he could have asked or received? Surely the deep longings of his father for communion with God were yet better. Again, like I said, if you look at the difference here between David and, and Solomon, if you look at the difference between father and son, you'll see the difference here. From the beginning, when David was anointed as king of Israel, 
we'll see here, or you will see when you read about this, that David is who? A person, a man after God's own heart. You never hear that from any other person, from any other king. You only hear that about David, that who he is. That relationship that he had between him and God. That relationship that he had, and in reference to everything, regardless of what David did, regardless of how David acted, he still was God's right-hand man. He still, it was like a spoiled little child, you know, regardless of what you can do, you're still going to get away with it. But guess what? The difference there is that David asked for forgiveness. David repented of his sins, okay? So we see here that Solomon did his job well, as well or better than anyone, yet at his falling away at the, uh, in the end showed there was something lacking in his spiritual life. There is no sign in his biography that he ever had the deep inward devoted devotion of his father. So we see here that, of course, as once you, once you go on and read through 1 Kings, it shows the rise of King Solomon, and it also shows the fall of King Solomon. And what was the fall of King Solomon? If you read in, verses, in chapter 11, verses 1 through 11, it talks exactly what the fall is here. And I'm going to briefly kind of go over this right quick. And, it's, and it goes on to say right here that in, in 1 Kings chapter 11, verses 1 through 11, you know, that Solomon's heart turns from the Lord. At this particular time, he still had understanding. He still had wisdom. But it says, but King Solomon loved many foreign women, as well as the daughter of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonian, and the Hittites, from the nations of whom the Lord had said to the children of Israel, you shall not intermarry with them, nor they with you. Surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. Solomon clung to this love. And he had seven, listen to this part. He had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines, and his wives turned away his heart. So there we have it. What was his fall? 999 women. <laughs> 999 women were his fall. Okay? So he, already, he only needed not one wife, but he had 1,000 wives. Okay? And if we, we want to read through this, we see that these were women from different nations, from different backgrounds. So they brought their idolatries with them. They brought their idols with them. Okay? So they didn't have the Lord in them. They brought their own idols. So this is how David got uh, his heart turned away from the Lord was by his women. He gave into these women, so he was setting up idols and temples for these women as far as for this, so they, so they could worship in there with him. And he was in there with them doing the same thing. So this is how Solomon's downfall got to him. And it goes on to say that then Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moad, on the hill that is east of Jerusalem, and for Molech, the abomination of the people of Ammon, and he did likewise for all his foreign wives, and he, who burned incense and sacrificed to their gods. Not to his God, to their God. Okay? Again, still having the wisdom and the understanding, but the, by this point, he wasn't too wise about it. Okay? So we can see that. And then it goes on to say that, I have done according to your words, 
This is the Lord talking to Solomon. I have done according to your words. I have also given you what you have not asked. You know, so God not only answered Solomon's prayer, he also answered it beyond all expectations. Solomon did not ask for riches or for honor or a long life, but God gave him, gave him those as well. The thing to remember here is he only asked for wisdom and understanding. From the beginning, he could have asked for anything else. He could have asked for more riches and, you know, just to be on top of the world. You know, I am King Solomon, you know, king of the mountain here. But no, he wanted the wisdom. But the Lord also granted him more riches, the honor, and a lengthened life. Okay? So in Ephesians, in Ephesians, uh, excuse me, in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, Paul honored God, saying, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, Solomon, Solomon experienced God's ability to do far beyond all that we could ask or think. Now, if you, if you remember, going back a little bit, I could say, was this the best that Solomon could ask for? Was this, could he, could he have gotten any better? Could have asked for anything more? Maybe he could have asked for understanding and a better relationship with the Lord. But no, he only asked for wisdom and understanding. But again, like I said before, when we look at that relationship between Solomon and David, totally two different people here. Totally two different persons as far as what, the, what they were doing. Okay? So Solomon wisely asked God regarding his character, not his possessions. Okay? He, he, he asked God regarding his character, not his possessions. What we are is most important than what we have. Again, let, re, let me repeat that. What we are is more important than what we have. Okay? Makes sense? When we look at this, who we are, we are believers in our Lord and uh, Savior Jesus Christ. And I'm hoping everybody has that relationship with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Okay? Because that is our character right there. When we go out into the world, when we go out into the world, especially the way it is nowadays, people are looking at you like, you know, you're a Jesus freak and you're, you're this and you're that, you know, and we're, we're, we're talking about, you know, people looking at you and talking to you in all kinds of way in here. So that is the character that we need to have. That is the way we need to represent ourselves when we're out there in the world, all right? Not but what we have. When we die, whatever we have here just stays here. You know, you, you, you read in some, of these, in some of the obituaries that, you know, that uh, John Doe passed away, but, you know, he was buried in his 1956 Chevy and stuff, you know, and he's got his, his guns in there with him, and he's got all his money in there with him. Well, guess what? It's all going to decay, and nothing's going to happen to it. It's, it's going to stay there. But with us, as believers, as Christians, we have that internal life. We have that relationship where we're going to be up there with God. We're going to be up there with our Lord, glorifying God, asking those questions that we want to ask, that we're asking here. You know, why did Solomon do this? You know, why did David do that? Whatever it is that we need to ask to have that eternal life with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Then Solomon awoke. It was a dream. But it was at that same time also a message from God. God answered Solomon's prayer and made him wise, powerful, rich, and, and influential. His reign was glorious for Israel. It was glorious for Israel. What more can you ask for when you ask God for wisdom and understanding? 
And after you wake up and you're like, whoa, he did grant me all that. He gave it to me. So he was so, he was so glorious and he, was, he, just, he just needed to, let's have a feast. We're going to have a feast. We're going to sacrifice the peace offerings. We're going to sacrifice and just have a party. So this is what's happening. At the same time, his end was tragic. We can fairly say that, the Solomon, wasted these, that Solomon wasted these gifts God gave him. Though he accomplished much, he could have done much more, and his heart was led away from God in the end. So before the women had even pulled away from him, you know, pulled him away, turned him away from the Lord, we can see the things that he did. Number one was the most, probably the most important task that was given at hand for him, which was promised by God through David, was to have the temple built. When he got through building that temple, it was the most beautiful thing that's out there, okay? He was kind of like the proud dad of anything that's out there. So he was so happy that, you know, if, if my dad's watching this, this is, this is, what, this is what David started, and I'm going to finish it. So those are the things that he did that were great. But now, as we go forward and we read about Solomon, it talks about that he wasn't all that great. You know, that he wasted this, these gifts that the Lord gave him by turning his heart away from the Lord. So now, this is going to come to test. His wisdom is going to be coming to a test here. So an example of Solomon's great wisdom. In verses 16 through 22, two women claim the same child as their own. Starts out with verse, verse 16, and it says, Now two women, who were harlots, came to the king and stood before him. And one woman said, O oh my Lord, this woman, this woman and I dwell in the same house, and I gave birth while she was in the house. Then it happened the third day after I had given birth that this woman also gave birth, and we were together. No one was with us in the house except the two of us in the house. And this woman's son died in the night because she lay on him. So she arose in the middle of the night and took my son from my side while your maidservant slept and laid him on her bosom and, and laid her dead child on my bosom. And when I arose in the morning to nurse my son, there he was dead. But when I had examined him in the morning, indeed, he was not my son whom I had bore. Then the other woman said, no, but the living one is my son and the dead one is your son. And the first woman said, no, but the dead, son, the dead one is your son and the living one is my son. Thus they spoke before the Lord. So we see here that two women who were harlots came to the king and stood before him. This in itself is a remarkable testimony to the goodness and generosity of Solomon. Not many kings would take the time to settle a dispute between, between two prostitutes here. Okay? Does, the king, excuse me, does the king actually have that time? Probably not, but he did make time, right? Because what did he tell the Lord? That he wanted to be able to judge his people between good and evil. That that's what he wanted to do. So when these two women came before him, of course, he took the time to be able to listen to see what these women had to say. So we also see that we also look at some other cross-references here that stood and before, some other women stood and came before. In, number, in, Numbers, in Numbers 27, verse 2, it states that they stood before Moses, before Eleazar the priest, and before the leaders and all the congregation by the doorway of the tabernacle of the meeting, saying, 
So these are the women. These are women that in the time of Moses, when Moses was, <clears throat> was bringing the people out of Israel, and after he brought them into the promise, not quite, he didn't bring them into the promised land, but he was getting ready to bring them into the promised land, that he took the time to listen to these women, some women that their father had been killed. So these women stood before him, and they came before him. And back in those days, back in those days, you pretty much needed to ha have a real good reason to come before anybody, whether it was a king, whether it was an elder, whether it was a priest, in order, for him to, in order for them to listen to what you had to say, in order for them to help you resolve these issues. At this particular point in time, you couldn't resolve these issues on their own, so you needed someone to come in the middle. You needed a mediator to come before them to be able to help out to decide what was going on here. So we see here that, that one of the ladies, one of the, one of the harlots is saying, the dead one is your son, and the living one is my son. This seemed like an impossible problem to solve. It was surely one prostitute's word against the other, and there was no independent witness to the event. There was nobody there who saw her do what she did. No one was with us in the house, as it states in the, in the verse. So it's one, one lady's uh, uh, verse against the other. And it's like, well, this is my baby. No, this is my baby. You know, of course, one of them... One of them got up in the middle of the night and they swapped child and stuff. And the other one gets up in the, in the morning to feed him. And she notices that this is not my child. This is not my child. So I'm pretty sure at that particular point in time, they try, to, they try to reconcile what was going on here. But they couldn't do it. So they needed to take this before the king. So they were like, let's go, ahead and go before the king Solomon and let's find out what he can do for us. So in verses 23 to 27... This is, what, this is Solomon's wise solution. And the king said, the one says, this is my son who lives, and your son is the dead one. And the other says, no, but your son is the dead one, and my son is the living one. Then the king said, bring me a sword. So they brought a sword before the king, and the king says, divide the living child in two, and give half to the one and half to the other. Then the woman whose son was living spoke to the king, for she yearned with compassion for her son and said, O oh my Lord, give, give her the living child and by no means kill him. But the other said, Let him be neither mine nor hers, but divide him. So the king answered and said, Give the first woman the living child and by no means kill him. She is his mother. At that particular moment when Solomon says, bring me a sword, can you imagine what their thoughts were running? Can you imagine what they were thinking at that particular point in time? Especially the true mother. Especially the true mother of the child. Solomon is saying, bring me a sword. We're going to settle this right here, right now. We're going to cut this child in half. We're going to give one half to you. I'm going to give the other half to you. And it's settled. They're probably looking at each other, or they're probably looking at Solomon or thinking, is this what the Lord gave you? Is this the kind of wisdom that he gave you? It, it, this has got to be a test, or this has got to be a joke, right? One of the two. You know, in the same way the works, even the judgments of God often first seem strange, danger, dangerous, or even foolish. Time shows them to be perfect wisdom. There are times when we even question God as far as what he has us doing, right? As far as what he, where, where he has his position, whether it's doing a teaching, whether it's serving in the children's ministry, 
whether it's serving in a cafe, whether it's serving out in the parking lot, or even as greeters in prayer wars. Sometimes when I first, when, when I was first asked about this, I'm like, Lord, are you sure you want me to do this? <laughs> you sure I'm the one that's supposed to be up here doing this teaching? Am I supposed to be the one that's supposed to be doing the teaching for the men? But at the same time, all the questioning that we can do for the Lord, we can sit there and procrastinate. We can question the Lord. But guess what? Only he's the one that knows what's right for us, right? Only he knows the path that he has for us. We can choose that path that we want. But if we take that path, it might not be the path that he wants us to go on. Once we start down that path, halfway through, he might say, you know what, Reuben? I need you to go this way. I need you to go right. And I, I might be fighting the Lord and say, but God, I want to go left. But no, this is where we need to trust in the Lord. As far as what he has in store for us, what his judgments are for us, what he has in store for us, where he wants us to go at this particular point in time. We all fight the Lord at one point or another. Regardless of what situation that we're in, we're going to fight him. We're going to struggle. We're going to have that struggle. But like I said before, what is it that we need to do? Constantly pray. Constantly be in that prayer mode all the time with our Lord. Breaking out that Bible and reading the passages. Breaking out that Bible and doing our own little studies. Breaking out that Bible and even sharing with somebody else. Maybe they can point you in a direction. Maybe that person is telling the Lord, maybe the Lord is telling that person, this is the way you need to go. Because sometimes, you know, the Lord might not come to us in a dream. We might not have that privilege that Solomon had where the Lord comes us to a dream. That person that's talking to you, that person that's ministering to you, that person that you're evangelizing to, they could be the one to tell you where, which direction you need to go to. Okay? So here we see that, you know, bring me a sword again. My goodness, it's one of those things where it's like, Solomon, are you, King, Lord, please, are you sure? Are you sure this is the right thing that you want me to do? Or this is the right thing that you're going to do? You're going to cut my child in half, and you're going to give half to one lady and half to me. I, you know, I don't know about this, you know? So it says that she yearns with compassion for her son. The true parental, parental relationship was proven by love. The true mother would rather have the child live without her than to die with her. She put the child's welfare above her own. Each and every single one of you ladies that's a mother out there, you know exactly what I'm talking about when it comes to this. You would do anything for your child. You would put your life in front of the, before your child. You would bend over backwards to take care of your child. And this is exactly what this mother did here. She yearned with compassion for her son. She's like, no, I would rather live without him than to die with him. So in Genesis chapter 43, verse 30, it says that now his heart yearned for his brother. So Joseph made haste and sought somewhere to, somewhere to weep. And he went into his chambers and wept there. So we're talking about Joseph here in the time of his brothers when they, same thing here. We're, Joseph, you know, Joseph was a, uh, was the youngest of his brothers, and his older brothers treated him just like a younger brother would be treated, right? You know, it's like, you're going to get, you're going to get all the hand-me-downs. You're going to get treated rough. So this is here. He still showed 
With everything that they did to him, he still showed that compassion. His heart yearned for his brother. So Joseph made haste and sought somewhere to, somewhere to weep, and he went into his chambers and wept. In Isaiah 49, verse 15, it says, Can a woman forget her nursing child and have compassion on the son of her womb? Surely they may forget, yet I will not forget you. This, this is something that, that with every parent out there, regardless of the relationship that you have with your children, you're always going to be that mother. Right, mothers? Mothers, yes? Of course, right? So she says, David, then Solomon tells the woman, she is the mother. Solomon knew that the offer to cut the child in two would reveal the true mother, and he awarded the mother's love accordingly. So this was, at the beginning, it might have sounded like, a, like an oh my gosh type of deal, right? Like, really, Solomon, this is what you're going to do? This is what it's going to amount to? Cut my child in half? But at the end, he did find out, or he did prove who the true mother was, so she awarded the child back to the true mother. So in verse 28, it states that Solomon is highly esteemed in the eyes of the people of Israel. Verse 28 says, And all Israel heard of the judgment which the king had rendered, and they feared the, and they feared the king, for they saw that the wisdom of God was in him to administer justice. So this spread like wildfire. I mean, it just went out like it was on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and, you know, USA Today, whatever the case was. You know, it just went all out. Everybody heard about it. You know, it, everybody heard about it. So all Israel heard. Such a wise decision could not be hidden. How could you hide something like that? How could you just keep that a secret? You know, the matter was soon known throughout the kingdom. This is just one of many, many decisions that Solomon had to make. If you read on throughout the, uh, the first, at least, 13 chapters of 1 of, uh, King, you'll see all the wonderful things that Solomon did, all the wise decisions that he had made, all the correct decisions that he had done, because he still had the, had the Lord in his heart. He was relying on the Lord to be able to make all these decisions to be able to do the right thing. So we even see here in one of the chapters that, I mean, it went all the way out where it was a Queen Sheba that heard about what he had done. So this particular queen had to come into Israel, had to come into Jerusalem to see, I need to see who this guy is. I need to see him in action. I need to find out what is it that he's got. So, I mean, it just went out. It just spread out like wildfire. I mean, it just went out through all the nation of Israel and beyond the borders to all the people that were out there. So it says that they, they feared the king, for they saw, they saw that the wisdom of God was in him to administer justice. The wisdom of God was in him to administer justice. And also the people of Israel saw that Solomon had both the wisdom and the courage to do the right thing as a leader. This made him hesitant to disobey the law of the Lord. So he, didn't, he wasn't afraid to make the decision, because at that particular point in time, he had the wisdom, and he had the understanding. He did not need to second-guess himself as far as any of the decisions. And if we can see here between the two harlots, it seems like this was an easy test for him, right? Something that's like, you know what? Bring me a sword. Solution solved. But it was one of those things where it did make the ladies think. I don't think think so much, but also just to reveal 
who the true mother of the child was. Okay? So, you know, God granted wisdom to many, many people in the Bible. You know, it's, if we look, if we look at uh, going back into this chapter, 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 9, Solomon again is saying, Therefore, give to your servant an understanding heart to judge your people, that I might be discerned between good and evil, for who is able to judge this great people of yours? He's just one of, of many who have been granted wisdom. And also in 1 Kings chapter 3, 11 to 12, it says, Then God said to him, Because you have asked this thing and have not asked for long life for yourself, nor have asked riches for yourself, nor have asked the life of your enemies, but have asked of yourself understanding to discern justice, behold, I have done according to the words. See, I have given you a wise and understanding heart, so that there has not been anyone like you before you, nor shall any like you will arise after you. To touch up on a little bit on this, you know, again, it, it states here that <clears throat> he didn't ask for riches. He didn't ask for the life of his enemies or, or have asked for yourself understanding to discern judgment. As far as the enemies, you know, by this time, I don't think there was very many enemies to battle at this particular point in time. Because before David died, he pretty much had taken, taken care of all that for Solomon, Okay. Pretty much as the saying goes, you know, it was all of Israel was pretty much handed to Solomon in a silver platter because David did all the battles. David did all the wars. You know, so Solomon didn't have to worry about as far as going out and finding any battles. So this was probably one of the, probably the easiest tasks that Solomon could have probably just done, just walk right up into the, into, the, into the throne of Israel and just taken over that part there with no questions asked because his father had already taken care of that for him. And, of course, it says that, behold, uh, behold, I have done according to your words. I have given you a wise and understanding heart so that you have not been, in, I'm sorry, so that there has not been anyone like you before you or shall any like you arise after you. The Lord made it very, very clear to him that I'm going to give you this. I'm going to give you the wisdom and understanding. But going forward, there's not going to be anybody else who's going to be able to do this. Nobody else is going to be granted this wisdom and understanding like I have granted it to you. In 2 Chronicles chapter 1, verse 12, it says, Wisdom and knowledge are granted to you, and I will give you riches and wealth and honor, such as none of the kings have had who were before you, nor shall any have, after, nor shall any have, after like, have the like. Okay? Again, the same thing. This guy's telling Solomon right here, even in, in the Chronicles, where he's telling them, Nobody else is going to have this wisdom. Nobody else is going to have this understanding. You're the only one. In the book of Daniel, chapter 1, verse 17, it also states, As for these four young men, God gave them knowledge and skill in all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. Same thing here with Daniel. Where was Daniel at? Daniel was a pretty much a prisoner as well too, right? We can see it when he was in the den with the lions. And even before then, when he would try to pray to the Lord, he was put in jail, right? But did that stop him? No. So God gave him knowledge and skill in all literature. So Daniel was very, very skilled at this. He had that knowledge. He had that expertise on this. So he could go before the king and talk to this king about the Bible, about God, about what was going on. 
So we see here that at the end of this particular chapter, that again, Solomon starts out on a very high note. I mean, he starts out just like that pie chart or that, that graph chart where it's like, you know, sales are way up here at the top. And before you know it, somewhere along chapter 10, 11, 12, that pie chart just starts coming down. He starts losing it. So with all that understanding, with all that wisdom that he had, he let it go to waste because he started worshiping other idols. He started building temples for the other for all his ladies, for all his princesses, for all his concubines. So he just went in there with them and was burning incense and was doing all the things that were not of the Lord. So that when the Lord came to him on dream number two, it was pretty much to sit him down and let him know that, guess what? I am mad at you. I am disappointed at you. You have not walked in my word. You have not walked in my statutes. You have not kept my commandments. So at that particular point in time, that's pretty much when the Lord stripped the throne away from him and told him that I'm going to give it to someone else. I'm going to give it to a, to a, to a servant of yours. So we see that throughout chapters, or I'm sorry, through 1 Kings. In the book of 1 Kings, we start seeing all the differentiations between the good kings and the bad kings. We've chapters, I mean, I'm sorry, 1 Kings is all about Good kings and bad kings, and it talks about all the ones, what they did. You know, the only some, some serve for a couple of years, some serve for years, you know, and it just goes on and on and stuff here until finally the Lord is like, enough, that's it. And it all started, and it all started way back in 1 Samuel when the people said, we want a king. We want to be like everybody else. We want to be able to see somebody. And the Lord said, you already have a king. But that wasn't enough for the people. They wanted somebody, somebody physical, somebody they could look at, somebody that could tell them what to do and stuff. Not, not alone that they already had a, a beautiful king, the Lord, Lord of kings, right? But no, they wanted a king. So now we start with Saul, David, and now Solomon here. Okay. So the two, in this off, we'll go ahead and close off with a word of prayer. And I'm just thank you so much for allowing me to be here before you this evening. And I hope you, that this was uh, an opening maybe for somebody out there that they needed to hear this, where you've got that needed, that understanding. The only thing you've got to do is pick up that Bible, read the verses, do your own Bible studies, you know, ask for prayer, 